Gospel of John this morning. If you open your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. John 1. We'll start our trek through the Gospel of John. I hope to be, uh, we'll be um, through John uh, in the spring, if the Lord allows. <laughs> Maybe if I do. <laughs> Depends on how long we take, I guess. Uh, but, uh, okay. <clears throat> and then we will pick up Luke part two um, next time after that. So we'll finish in the spring. I'll finish John, and then we'll pick up the book of Acts, or as I like to call it, Luke part two, the continuation of um, of uh, Luke's writing. So um, this morning... John 1, as is our uh, practice, I want to read through the chapter, uh, read through John 1, and then we'll back up to the beginning here and kind of talk about it a little bit. John's very quick um, to get to the ministry time period of Jesus, uh, similar to Mark. Mark's gospel does that same thing. Um, So we'll see that here. Begin the calling of the first uh, first of the disciples. Um, but uh, before he gets there, he has some really important things to, to teach us about this Jesus. <laughs> so, John 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. There there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Oops. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus the Messiah. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those those who were sent were from the Pharisees. 
And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you were not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was, it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas or Capas which is translated, a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? <laughs> you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray, you guys. Um, Father, in all of our wanderings and all of our wanderings. It is wise for us to return to your word that we might hear your voice. You have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus and I am ashamed that I uh, give such little esteem <laughs> to what has been written at times. Lord, 
Forgive our sin. Cleanse us. Reveal yourself to us as you have revealed, Lord, full of grace and full of truth. <laughs> Let those things, two things be, be commingled in our hearts, Lord, grace and truth. Lord, work it in us in a way that only you can. Please, God, you must do it because I can't. We can't. Pray that you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, back up with me to the beginning. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. I don't think we need to spend much time here Um, trying to convince ourselves of what John is trying to convince us of. It's so clear. <laughs> this person, the word, the word that John uses here, the Greek word that is written is the word logos. Sometimes it's pronounced logos, but the, the word is logos. It's a, a word that uh, was used in um, ancient uh, Greek, in ancient Greece, and uh, ancient Greek writings, uh, Aristotle um, talked about uh, three different um, points related to persuasion, uh, as he taught about rhetoric and speaking and uh, argumentation. And one of those was lagos. Uh, to uh, Aristotle, lagos is the word that he used to refer to logic to making uh, logical statements. And he used syllogisms uh, to make those two premises. If both are true, therefore the conclusion is always true, if both the premises are true. Um, this is that word, logos. Uh, he also used spoke of two other things related to, um, to persuasion, uh, pathos and ethos. Um, but uh, the word here that John uses is that word, logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Oh, that tells us something about the Word to which John is referring. He, he now personifies the Word <laughs> with a, a male pronoun. He was in the beginning with God. He's not talking of some... Um, impersonal force. He's not speaking of the general concept of logic. He's talking about a person. He was in the beginning with God. Oh, oh to John's hearers, this would be such a common reading, right? In the beginning, what? Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Right? And the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And light was. And there we see Father and the Word and the Spirit. All active, all there in the creation, in the very beginning of all things that you and I have come to know. In the beginning, John says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And I think that sometimes we forget just who Jesus is. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, verse 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. I, I don't care what anyone else tries to say. <clears throat> Ephesians 3.9 reminds us um, 
that God wants to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus the Messiah. Colossians 1 reminds us of this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. This is not some puny god like Thor (laughs) or Loki. (laughs) (laughs) puny god all things were made through him and for him and you and I can settle this issue this morning everything is for him you exist for him your children for him your job, your cars, your house, this planet. I'm amazed when I consider space, when I consider the heavens, I'm blown away at how much we are seeing and then realizing how much we don't see and think for thousands of years nobody saw any of that. Even the stuff that we've been able to get some sort of readings of now, thousands of years nobody saw, nobody knew, but God. This vast expanse of creation is all for him. It's all his, and it makes him happy. This is mind-blowing to me. (laughs) We would make ourselves the center of the universe, wouldn't we? (laughs) Oh, it's all for him, including the things that happen to your body and mine. All things are made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. That just is so clear. When anyone suggests anything else, we may immediately lay it to the side and say, that's not true. No matter what... um, no matter what ways we try to justify it or make it seem like it is true, it is not true. For the one who was there has revealed to us exactly what he has done. This is not scientific speculation. It is not an hypothesis that you might try to test for how could we create something out of nothing again? (laughs) I lack the power, as do you. All things are made through him, and without him nothing, nothing was made that was made. Again, in Colossians 1, Paul says, He is before all things, that is, he is in front of them, and in him all things consist. Another way to say that, in him all things consist, is to say that he is what holds everything together. The same thing is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 1. As the author to the Hebrews uh, reminds us that God in various ways at different times, spoke to the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And I love that. He made the worlds. That is a piece of literature written 2,000 years ago. Verse 4 continues, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this is, for me, this is where the idea of 
Aristotelian syllogisms come into play. In him was life. All life is from him. All life is in him. It is, it is God who gives life. If we then cut ourselves off from him, <laughs> what then remains? In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. No matter what you are enduring, no matter what you are going through, and I think this is one of the hope, the hopes of John's writing here, no matter what you're enduring, remember this John was eventually, um, uh, tradition says that he was uh, thrown into a, a vat of boiling uh, oil, but that he did not die, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is where the book of Revelation was received. That, that revelation of Jesus was received there on the island of Patmos. Um, if you read the Revelation, you see the things that John mentions, both for those believers and for us. We're reminded of Jesus, where in Luke's gospel, Jesus, as he's talking about um, tribulation that they would be facing and therefore others, he said, by your patience, possess your souls. We see this recurring theme of perseverance, of endurance, of continuing on, of running the race to win, of pressing on of leaving those things that are behind and pressing on to the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, as Paul writes. Oh, I don't want you to be, I don't, I don't want to be a person trapped in the past. I also don't want to be paralyzed because of the f- fear of what I think might happen in the future. But if God would allow me the liberty, the freedom to be freed from both my past and freed from the fear of the future, then I might be able to live now in love. And I think that's exactly what I'm called to. Lord, help me to love my neighbors now. Tomorrow I may not be here. In him was life, and the life was the light of man, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That word, as I said, can also be translated overcome. The darkness did not overcome it. No matter how dark you think the world is, I need you to remember this, and I think John wants you to remember it too. I think the Lord wants you to remember it. The darkness did not overcome it. No matter what we think happened to Jesus or with him, the darkness did not overcome, did not, did not overcome him and does not overcome him in us either. As John reminds us, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And John begins to speak to us of, of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the beginning of what we refer to as Jesus' ministry, his public service, about three and a half years. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Keep in mind as you're reading this, this isn't the John whom we believe wrote this. This is the other John, J the B, right? We'll call him J the B. John, that's his rap name, his like hip-hop name. John the Baptist, right? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. All through the light might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John, the apostle, John makes this clear. John the Baptist was not the light. Rather, he was sent to bear witness of the light. And that's where he continues this part of the text, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. And another way to render that same statement is that was the true light, which coming into the world gives light to every man. It is Jesus who gives light to the world. He is the light of the world. And the light that we might have is only in him and only from him. Therefore, as we are his disciples, as we are his disciples, so too, Uh, We are light in the world. Verse 10 continues. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And if you don't see the incredibly, (laughs) incredible perplexity of that, 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him. That is shocking. And the world did not know him. Oh, it makes sense to feel alone if you were to follow Jesus. The world did not know him. He came to his own, verse 11 says, and his own did not receive him. He came to his own things, to his own domain, to what he had created. And his own people did not receive him. (laughs) But here's the good news. As many as received him, (laughs) to them he gave the right to become children of God. I think that's such good news. He gives us the power, the right, the authority to be God's children. To know God as our Father. (laughs) To those who believe in his name. Verse 13 continues that idea, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This new birth, and John's going to make that clear a couple chapters later in Jesus' teaching, this new birth is one that is from above. It is God who saves sinners, and that is such good news. Verse 14, the word became flesh, this Lagos that John is referring to, this one who in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. That was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This Word, verse 14 says, this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. This writing that you and I are reading is not some figment of anyone's imagination. It is the testimony of someone who saw him, someone who heard his voice, someone who watched him be crucified and saw him again raised to life afterward. The word became flesh and dwelt, lived among us, and we beheld, we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is such an incredible paradox. For it was God who said in Exodus chapter 32 and 33 that no man can see God and live. And here God has chosen to reveal himself in a very peculiar way so that we might know him. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I think how wonderful and how important it is, those two things, and John's going to bring them up in just a second here, a little bit, a little bit later, full of grace and truth. Grace is a gift Grace is when you receive something that you did not earn through a service or as a debt. Grace is a gift to you, something given freely to you. That's just what grace is. And truth, particularly the truth that's referred to uh, in the scriptures is this uh, enduring, unchanging, objective reality. Not simply what is true for me now, but what is true and remains true for all and always. He is full of grace and truth. Guys, I I pray that that kind of mentality would, that kind of reality would characterize me in my relationship to the people around me, that I would be one who is, as Jesus, is full of grace and truth. That is, that I would hold to what is true, to what has been said, to what God has revealed. And yet at the same time, that I would be willing to have grace, to be full of grace with the people around me, giving what hasn't been earned. 
I especially want to do this with my children <laughs> and with my spouse. <laughs> it seems like the hardest place for me. <laughs> John bore witness of him. Verse 15 continues, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist was older than Jesus by several months. But John knows something's different here. John the Baptist knows something is different here. He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I, it frustrates me when people try to say things about Jesus that just are so blatantly not the testimony of, of the scriptures. I think one of the best things we can do is just read the text. It is so incredibly clear if we just look at what's written, exactly what John is trying to communicate to us about this man, Jesus. John says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, John the Baptist. Now, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. And the idea is grace upon grace, right? Gift upon gift. <laughs> for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, Paul points out later that it's the law that kills. When the law comes, it tells us what is right and what is wrong, and it's revealed to us that we are that we fail, <laughs> and therefore the law kills. But grace and truth came through Jesus, the Messiah. No one has seen God at any time. John continues. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. If I am to know God, if I am to see him, I must know him. I must see him in the face of Jesus. There is no other way, there is no other revelation like this. Oh, but there's so many other things. There's so many other things that want to capture my attention. <sighs> there are so many other things that my flesh feels are entertaining because they make me feel good temporarily. John reminds us that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He continues, Now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? The... Um, Priests and Levites now come from Jerusalem to ask John the Baptist who John the Baptist was, who he was. So he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Remember, Elijah was carried away in a fiery chariot. And so they were saying, were you Elijah? The, pro the prophets had said that uh, Elijah would come before the, the day of the Lord, before the coming of the day of the Lord. And so they said, are you then Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? This is a reference to a promise given in the book of Deuteronomy by Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God says that, or Moses says that God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, and him you shall hear. God had promised through Moses that a prophet, and this is referred to as the prophet, that a prophet like Moses would rise up and Israel would hear him. It's a promise about the Messiah. And so they asked John if he was the prophet. And John said, no. Verse 22, then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? I love John's response. <laughs> he said, I am 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I love that. It's from Isaiah 40. John was the forerunner. He was the one sent to Israel to baptize, to make the way of Jesus. This wild man with wild hair covered in camel skin and eating locusts and honey with a leather belt around his waist, out in the desert, baptizing people in the dirty Jordan River. This is the forerunner of the king. This is the one preparing the nation for the the coming king. Oh, it's not what they expected. And often what the Lord is doing in our lives is in fact not what we think. It is not what we expect. This is John saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And I have said, I pray that God would make me like that. Just one saying, crying out in the wilderness, saying, make straight the way of the Lord. John was sent before the the coming of Jesus. And I don't know when he's coming again, but I know that he is. And John reminds us that it was the prophet Isaiah who said that. As the prophet Isaiah said, verse 24, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. So they had priests and Levites, typically Sadducees. And then now um, in this scenario, those who were sent were from the Pharisees. They asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you were not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. He reminds them that there was someone else that he was coming to prepare the way for, that he was not that one. Verse 29 says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, I think that it's clear what John is saying. (laughs) What explanation do we need? (laughs) Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And John now lets us know exactly how he knew who the Messiah was. I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John had been instructed to go and baptize with water, and he was told that he would see a sign and that Whatever this, however this sign happened, on whomever this sign happened with, that was the Messiah, that was the one. Verse 32 says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And what a promise. Jesus left his disciples. I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, he said. And then he was killed. And then after that, he was raised from the dead and they saw him for a little while. And then he, then he ascended back into the clouds, amazing them. Until in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the church in a mighty way and they realize that he is with them. That promise, the promise of the Father, is not only to them, but to us and to our children and to as many as call in the name of the Lord. That promise of the Spirit with us. Jesus indeed baptizes with the Spirit. Verse 34 says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. These are two of John's disciples. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. (laughs) 
What a simple thing. They heard his voice. They heard their rabbi, their teacher, John the Baptist, say that he's the Lamb of God. And they followed him. I think that, particularly when it comes to this idea of evangelism, like sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't believe, sometimes I think we make it uber complicated. Just really, really complicated. And it needn't be so. It's God who works in the hearts of people. It is God who has worked in you. It is God who's worked in me. We look back at our own lives. We look back at what we have been through. We, real, we realize, God, you, you orchestrated, you arranged things in a particular way that I might see, that I might hear your voice. And somehow I did, even, even through all the, the clamor of, of the nastiness of the world, somehow you heard his voice say, come, follow me. Jesus turned, verse 38, and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? (laughs) They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. That was about the the 10th hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon. It was about the 10th hour. Um, I wonder if sometimes, and I feel like the Lord has asked me this question, as I have been following him, there have been times in my life where I felt like the Lord said, Jason, what are you after? What are you really after with your life? What do you seek? And I think it's a good question to be challenged by. What are you after? What, what are you looking for? Today, tomorrow, when you go to work, what are you looking for? What are you after? What do you seek, Jesus said to them. I've been challenged by that and had to realign my focus several times. I said, Lord, I I guess I was seeking something else other than you. Help me come, come back to you to pursuing you first. Verse 40 says this, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, which is why, as I've explained to you guys, when I read, a lot of times I read uh, when the text says Christ, I, I say the Messiah a lot. And So I think you guys are familiar with that with me now. But the reason is because Christ is like not really a word that we use very much. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes we think Jesus is like Jesus Christ is like his last name or whatever. Uh, It just means the anointed one, right? So uh, I think we have a, I have, and I think many of us have a better mental concept of the idea of someone being a Messiah, a savior figure, a Messiah figure, a messianic figure. And so I like to remind us that the word Christ means the Messiah the Christ or the Messiah. And John explains that here. We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. The Messiah is from the Hebrew and the Christ is the same thing. It means the anointed one, but it's from the Greek language. And he brought him to Jesus. He first found his brother, Simon Peter, Andrew did, and he brought brought Simon to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas. Now, that might sound weird to you because you know him as Peter. Uh, Cephas is is the Aramaic way to say uh, his name, which is a stone. Uh, Petros is the uh, Greek way, and we translate that Peter. Cephas would have been the Aramaic way to say Aramaic was the language that they were likely speaking in the uh, first century in Israel at the time. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated um, a stone or Peter as we know him. Verse 43, the following day, oh, didn't move the slides. So the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's interesting that he says it's so clear. This is the one that the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's so convinced of this, uh, of who Jesus is at this point. Um, uh, Philip is. Um, in both of these situations, I think one of the things that um, that stood out to me was how quickly they were grabbing other people and saying, we found the Messiah. This was at the very beginning and they're like, we, he hasn't been crucified. He hasn't been raised from the dead. They don't have the gift, the promise of the Spirit yet. <clears throat> He's Jesus is a, a traveling rabbi, and they're saying, we found him. We found the Messiah. Philip was from Bethsaida, which was the same place as Andrew and Peter. Um, and so as we read, Philip found Nathaniel. And uh, said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I also like that those are coupled together, Moses and the prophets, as they were in uh, in Hebrew thinking. So, verse 46 says this, and Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Philip said to him, come and see. Nazareth was, it was sop choppy. It was a podunk little town not known for anything <laughs> can anything good come out of nazareth <laughs> but this is just like the lord you and i esteem we give honor to riches we give honor to prominence and prestige and glory and fame our society does not just ours But Jesus was born, and he was raised, rather, in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. Little, This little tiny village, really in obscurity. And people wonder why the Gospels don't include anything from the time Jesus was a young boy until the time he was in ministry. It's because nobody cared about Nazareth. Nobody cared about anything. <laughs> and the people who, who wrote these things were uh, those who followed him later. Philip said to him, come and see. I suppose one of the biggest, maybe not biggest, one of the things that frustrates me about Christian ministry in America is that it sometimes feels like we are trying to hype ourselves into something. Um, we're trying to hype up ourselves into some kind of experience because experiences seem to be what so many people are after because they become for us signs of reality. If I had a particular experience, that, that is something that we weight as real or powerful. But all such seeking is pursuing, as I mentioned, signs and not really walking by faith. I can't, I can't, and, and really it's, it's shameful to me because it seems like the church can't really, if what we're trying to do is give somebody a great experience, we can't really compete with the millions of dollars in Hollywood, right? <laughs> or in the entertainment industry and those things, but we try. But none of those things create faith. We must be born from above. And we can't hype that up. And one of the biggest things is that, that frustrates me is that we, we hype all of this stuff up and we we end up sometimes making so many promises that God never gave us and then people die. We hype up happy experiences, but life is, can be full of heartache and heartbreak and loneliness and depression and anxiety. And I want you to know that God is there 
not just not just in the happy experience of of some meeting. This is one of the things that can be dangerous about about Christian conferences because we go to a, these conferences and we're like it's the mountaintop and we're and it's all this great experience and the music is great and the the teachers are all great and we bring in the celebrity teachers and we do and it's all this great experience. But then you leave that and you come back down into the malaise of broken bodies and of hurt families and hurt feelings. And I'm trying to get you to see that God is there. Whether or not we, we feel any particular thing is irrelevant and should never be the ground of whether or not you choose to believe something that is true. Nathaniel said to him as we read in verse 46 can anything good come out of Nazareth Paul would write to the church at Corinth and say look look around you not many mighty not many mighty not many noble not many prominent are called it was Jesus who said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom right like all the things that we give honor and prestige to, God says it's not. It's not how I'm I'm working. And we think, oh well, if God will just if if that famous person becomes a Christian, then lots of other people will believe. But that's not the way it works. And sometimes the famous person does profess belief, and sometimes they're like way out there, wacky. <laughs> <clears throat> And then sometimes we, we continue giving them a platform and they teach all sorts of stuff that God never said <laughs> because they're untrained. They don't know the scriptures. They haven't been following him very long. But again, I have to ask this question. What am I after? What am I seeking? <laughs> As Jesus asked the first disciples, what are you seeking? So verse 47 says this, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him. And said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Now, there's some wordplay happening here, and I think this is wonderful, and it ties into what Jesus says in verse 51, this this particular um, wordplay that's happening. So I don't want you to miss it. Um, Behold, an Israelite indeed, when Jesus sees Nathanael, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit, whose name was changed to Israel? Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Jacob means heel catcher, means uh, deceiver, means trickster. That's what Jacob means. And his name was changed to Israel, which means prince with God or governed by God. Okay? Behold, Jesus says, an Israelite indeed is in whom is no deceit, right? Like a trickster, right? Somebody who catches someone's heel, who trips them up, who trips up other people. This is interesting, as he's referring to, in, in addressing Nathaniel this way, it seems like there may be a reference to uh, the story of Jacob as it relates to Nathaniel. Nathaniel said in verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, I don't know. Here's a couple of things. I don't know where the fig tree was. Uh, I'm assuming by Nathaniel's response, I'm assuming that this was not in a populated area where Jesus would have just been passing by watching him. Okay, Because <laughs> Nathaniel's response is, is like, his mind is blown that Jesus saw him under the fig tree. So I think we can infer from that, that Nathaniel was out somewhere by himself, right? Where he thought he was away from everyone's eyes and out, whatever. So, um. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. That's not something you say just because somebody like 
passed by and saw you under a fig tree, <laughs> right? Like that type of response is one where he's, his mind is blown. He's amazed that Jesus uh, knew who he was, that Jesus was familiar with him. So Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And verse 51, here's the other part of the Jacob story. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jacob, when he was running away from his family before his name was changed to Israel, when he was running away from his family, uh, the Bible tells us that, the book of Genesis tells us that he took a stone, he was in a place that he would eventually call um, Bethel or the house of God. Um, because of the dream that he had there. But he took a stone and he laid it down as a pillow and he laid down on it. And he went to sleep and he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw a ladder, Jacob's ladder. You guys familiar with that idea, right? So he saw a ladder going up into the heavens and angels ascending and descending this ladder. Okay. And so he renames the place Bethel. He says, this is the house of God and I didn't know it because of this uh, vision, this dream that he sees there. This is the story that Jesus is referring to. And that's why it's interesting to me that earlier on he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, Israel. That was what Jacob's name was changed to. Israel, in whom is no deceit. That's what Jacob means. It means deceiver, trickster, (laughs) heel catcher. (laughs) Jesus really did know Nathaniel. Intimately. He knew him. He knew everything about him, just like he does Jacob, just like he does me, and just like he does you. And my hope is that you won't lose sight of that. Jacob, or or Nathaniel rather, is assured that he would see even greater things. You'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Something very peculiar, very powerful was to happen. And Nathaniel didn't even have a clue yet. I think John is clear when he's revealing to us who Jesus is, when he reminds us of this man. And the the kicker, the thing that gets me over and over and over again is that, really that phrase, we beheld his glory. Later on, the New Testament writers write, Peter writes, we didn't make known to you cunningly devised fables, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I don't want you to be deceived and I don't want you to th- to think that you need to live from ecstatic moment to ecstatic moment to ecstatic moment feeling by feeling by feeling. But I want you to know the God who is here now. Wherever you find yourself. And who says what are you seeking? What are you after? And I hope that that becomes a challenge for us. (laughs) And uh, I think what I want is for us to be aligned with um, pursuing him as the thing that we're after. And then saying, Lord, how can we serve each other well? How can we serve each other as a community of believers? How can we share our lives together and serve? Because uh, really the time is short. So um, let's pray. Father, you've been so patient and kind with us, and I pray that you would be honored. Lord, have your way with us. Thank you for sending Jesus. He really is the light of the world. And he gives light and life to everyone who trusts him. No matter what, what we think something is supposed to feel like. God, I also pray that you would protect us from the... Um, pursuance of some feeling as if that is to, to be the sign to justify what we think we believe. Our walk with you shouldn't be about having some 
particular experience, but rather it should be about knowing you, being able to enjoy who you are and, and what you're doing and what you've done. I'm afraid sometimes I have pursued so many other things, Lord. And I ask that you would forgive us, forgive me. And that you would set our hearts in a place to where we would be, be faithful to you, Lord. And obedient to do the things that you have you've asked us to do. To love and to serve the, whoever is around us, our spouses and our children and, and our friends and, and in your church, Lord. And, and our enemies. <laughs> God, give us wisdom, I pray. Please, Lord, we need your help to do the things that you've commanded because the time is short. Whatever that means for each of us, I don't know. God, I thank you for your goodness to us, whether we have felt it or not. I praise you for your kindness, for rescuing sinners like me, like us. Thank you, God. It is in you that we place our trust. And you alone. <laughs> I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, you guys. Well, I uh, really, really, really want the Lord to bless you and to protect you, to keep you. And I want the Lord to make his face shine on you, and I want him to be gracious with you, and I want the Lord to lift up his smile on you and give you guys peace, okay? Um, <clears throat> I did, uh, we have, I want to mention a couple things. One is this. 